The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. There are several Messianic Psalms in 150 Psalms, and today we're going to cover one of them. Matter of fact, it would be the first one, and that is Psalm 2. I think you'll really enjoy this, and we've looked at it and talked about it before, but we're looking at it in detail, and uh, we're praying that you would enjoy this. Take your Bibles. If it's where you can, find Psalm 2. Uh, do you remember how your Sunday school teacher taught you to find the book of Psalms? Take your Bibles, hold it up, and find the middle, and you'll usually get the Psalms. And Alex, that's the way I first learned to find the book of Psalms. You know what? I remember riding in the back seat of our Chevrolet station wagon, going to Sunday school, and my sister told me, in fact, I could tell you right where we were, and Caroline, who she might be listening right now up in Virginia, my sister, she said, if you open the Bible right in the middle, it'll be in Psalms. And I was like, really? And she said, watch. And she said, you can hit it every time. And you're right. Uh, And uh, somehow another Bert, that just fascinated me that you could find the book of Psalms. But Psalm 2 intrigued me as a little kid for another reason. We'll get into it in just a minute. But Bert, uh, it's good to be with you, my friend, and everybody listening. We are honored that you're listening to Exploring the Word. Uh, It's a brand new day and a brand new week, but we're still in the timeless, unchanging truth of God's Word. We are, and we're sticking with Psalms. We feel like it's a, a it's got something to say for us in our day. All the Bible does, but in Psalms, so many times it just uh, reaches our hearts, you know. Uh, you, you, you want your mind to be reached. I understand that. You want your mind to be challenged as you get into the Word of God. And Psalms does that, but Psalms, are something special about it uh, in that it reaches your feelings and your heart. Well, Alex, isn't that what songs usually do? They do. They do. You know, music hath charms to calm the savage beast. <laughs> yes. uh, but this really is the hymn book, the hymnody of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. And, you know, so many things in Psalms are just uh, common phrases that we use in our vernacular. Uh, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God, and the Lord is my shepherd. But Psalm 2, um, this always intrigued me growing up whenever I would hear it read, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now that's the King James uh, Bible, but some of the more modern translations Talk about why did the nations conspire, the heathen. But you know what, Bert, the word heathen, uh, we we think of that as maybe a slur or a, a slam, you know, yo, heathens, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but really what, what that word meant, it was actually a technical theological term, you know, and it meant un, unevangelized people, you know, nations and people groups who did not have a knowledge of the true and living God. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Well, uh, chaos, violence, raging, uh, it's because they don't know the Prince of Peace. They don't know God. That's why. 
That's exactly right. And notice they put it into a question. And and most of the people I read felt like this was a Psalm of David. And, and he starts it off with that question. And the rest of the Psalm is really answering that question. Uh, because you was talking about what intrigued you in, in Psalm 2. I, yeah. I'm not jumping ahead to stay ahead, but I did want to get to verse 4. Verse 4 is the one that intrigued me. Yes. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, again, this laughter is them thinking, and this is this is the Father, who, who would come against the creator of it all? Who would come against the all-powerful one? You know, that he, he when men do their best to destroy him and to do their own thing. Now, let's go through this in Bible history. Let me see. The Tower of Babel. Man was going to raise up this tower, and they were going to command the earth, and God put them in derision of their languages. At the cross, here is Satan doing his best. We will crucify the Messiah. Three days later, <laughs> he arose mm. and overcame sin and death. Come to Revelation chapter 19. Hey. And all the nations of the earth gather against God, and he's just going to come and speak the word, and they'll be destroyed. So, Alex, this, this, this is who God is. Verses 1 and 3 talks about the rulers, the nations coming against God, but it shows regardless of what it might look like in our time or anyone else's time, it is a foolish thing to do, isn't it? Well, it, it, it really is, and, and that's why, folks, you know, First uh, John 2, 15 through 17 talks about uh, the world is passing away and the lust thereof. You know, it's very interesting. Revelation 18 talks about at the end of the tribulation when the, world, the evil world systems fall. And, I mean, you think about wealth and infrastructure that people have spent centuries building. And in an hour, in under 60 minutes, the man's Tower of Babel is going to fall. Now, hang with me, folks. I'm going to reference Isaiah 21 and Jeremiah 51. Here, here's the thing. All the way back in Genesis 11, they, Bert, you remember they tried to build a tower all the way to heaven. And uh, we don't need God. Man will become God. And the, how do we get to heaven? Well, we'll build a, a tower to get up there. And the language was dispersed, and, you know, we get the word babbling from that, from babble. Well, it's almost like we've got our own tower of babble in process now. The, the World Wide Web, and there's, there's some good things on the Internet, but there's a lot of ungodliness. But now the world is so linked up, everybody's wired up, and we, uh, we don't need governments, we don't need morals, we don't need money, cryptocurrency. It's almost like... Once again, the human race is believing they can usher in utopia. But the, the whole evil, fallen world system, the, the Babylon, is going to fall in an hour. And by the way, when Revelation 18 mentions that, uh, it's a quote from Isaiah 21. I think it was Isaiah 21, 9. And it's also a quote from uh, Jeremiah 51, 8, if I recollect. But here's the thing. Psalm 2 says that God will laugh. Uh, the, the Lord of heaven 
will hold these people in derision. Uh, that means scorn, because Bert, um, man cannot overthrow the Creator, and the the fallen finite human race cannot build something eternal and infinite. Friend, um, the wisest thing you can do is is put your hopes not on man but God. Tether yourself not to this finite world that is passing away. Uh, and Bert, I just. I'm not going to reference too many pop culture references, but let me just say there have been celebrities, um, heavy metal rock bands, elected officials, wealthy people. There have been a lot of people who scorned God, but one day the victorious returning Savior will scorn them. They will, exactly. And that's similar to what verse 2 is about. It says the kings, the rulers, Take counsel together. There is a conspiracy. Uh, and, and even if it's not direct conspiracy, like, hey, they have a meeting and they have a plan, there's still a confederation because the same purpose. What is that purpose? Listen, against the Lord and against his anointed. Alex, mm. God's anointed, Messiah, that's Jesus. Christ, that's Jesus Christ. And at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow. Some of us have bowed the knee, knee and confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus now, but one day everyone will. But he's against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, Alex, that is the whole idea. They're against God, and, and we've used this before. They say there is no God, and we hate him. And that's, mm. that's exactly what, what the world is trying to do now, live godless and we're paying the price with, I just noticed, New York City. Uh, they're up 380-something percent this year compared to last year in shootings. It's escalating. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and when I, it's lawlessness everywhere. And we know what's everyone's fear is there. And, and here's what they say. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. No restraint. This is what the world, no authority. Now, I want to ask you something. What do you get when you have no authority? Do, do you have peace? No, you have anarchy. And yeah. the book of Judges, I think, says that every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Look at the book of Judges and see how horrible their societies became. And matter of fact, when you start in chapter 1 of Judges and you come to the end of Judges, after all these cycles of, of going downward, even though God would deliver them for a while, the, at the, the last part of the book of Judges is just a society gone mad, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. It, it really is. And, you know, you think about this, um, folks, and again, this Messiah that's been uh, criticized by the world and they've taken counsel against God's anointed. Well, that's Jesus. In fact, uh, Christ, uh, Christus, that means the anointed one. That's Jesus. Bert, have you ever noticed how if, if people are going to curse or use foul language, it, they all they always slander the name of Jesus. You know, even when I was in college, and this is 35 years ago, and I had some professors that were very, very, very liberal, um, but they never mocked Muhammad. They didn't mock Buddha. 
you know, that they, they didn't mock uh, Abraham or Moses. They would always mock Jesus. Isn't that something? It is. Why, why Jesus? Why Christianity? Um, they wouldn't dare mock the gods of the other religions. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's because Satan is the enemy of Jesus, the Messiah, and Satan has worked through fallen people to slander Christ. But I want to say this. Uh, even even as God looks in derision on the world that falls, the Babylon that falls, uh, he who sits in the heavens will laugh, hold them in derision. Do you know what? Think about Satan is going to be derided. Isaiah fourteen sixteen, speaking of Satan, and Isaiah 14 very famously is about Lucifer who was cast out of heaven. But one day says, those who see you will stare at you and ponder and say, is this the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? I mean, you know, and listen, don't, I don't want to make a mistake here. Satan is to be avoided, uh, and we flee to the sanctuary of safety that is Jesus. But one day, we're going to see this, this defeated little imp thrown in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. And, and people are going to say, this, this was the guy that caused so many millions to be lost. Uh, friend, you're victorious in Jesus. Let's give him all of our loyalty, our worship, and honor. He is the Savior forever and ever. We're in Psalm 2, and we're going to continue in Psalm 2. Matter of fact, Psalm 2 is, like I said, a Messianic Psalm. Matter of fact, Psalm 2 is quoted more from, from it than any other Psalm in the whole 150. We're going to come back in just a moment, and we'll hear more of what God will do with this world. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lucinda Leslie, Acting Administrator of the U.S. Maritime Administration. Her agency works in areas involving ships and shipping, shipbuilding, port operations, vessel operations, national security, and safety. Genesis 1.10 reminds us that the waterways of our world are God's creation. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Lucinda Leslie and her work on behalf of shipping in this country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. When God faithfully provides for us year after year, it's easy to start taking it for granted as though somehow He owes it to us. But Dr. Tony Evans says it's dangerous when we take our eyes off of the giver and focus on the gift. He'll explain as we spend two minutes with Tony. When my children were young, we invited and welcomed a new member to our family. It was a poodle. His name was Solomon. Solomon was cared for, and his daily needs and his daily bread was provided. On one specific occasion, I reached down to pick up some of the food that he had knocked on the floor, and evidently in Solomon's mind got too close to his food. So Solomon growled at me and snapped at me, 
Evidently, Solomon was confused. <laughs> you know Solomon's problem? He got used to the provisions of the kingdom. You see, they had been coming so regularly that he viewed it as a right and not a privilege for which he was grateful. For if he were grateful for the daily provision, he would have been grateful for my hand that he thought was interrupting him that was actually designed to help him. Likewise, God's children can get so used to his goodness. God's children can get so used to how faithfully he provides that we lose sight of the fact of the provider because we get so focused on the provision. If you've never surrendered yourself to God and experienced His unconditional love and forgiveness, visit TonyEvans.org today and click on the link that says Jesus. You'll find complete information and free resources. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, so honored you're listening. We're in Psalm 2, the second Psalm. Uh, later on in just a few minutes, we are going to take telephone calls. If you've got a Bible question, we would love for you to join in in uh, this national Bible study. And the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And we'll take calls here in a little bit. But Bert, okay, here's an interesting word in verse 3. There, T-H-E-I-R, uh, there's a plurality here. Let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords. This is what the, the heathen nations are saying against the Lord and His anointed. Bert, uh, let's, for a minute, let's talk about the fact it doesn't say, let us break His bonds, let us cut His cords, but there. That's like a, a, a plural possessive pronoun. Why, why the multiple? Who might be the parties implied by the multiple word there? Go back to verse 2, against the Lord and against his anointed. That's two. But notice how Lord is spelled or capitalized, capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D. And Alex, that is referring to the Godhead, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it is the Trinity. It is them. And again, we see that in Psalms but we also saw it in the book of Genesis. Let us make man in our image. Uh, Alex, the powerful teaching of this God uh, with three distinct personalities, yet one. Now, if you try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. If you don't believe, believe it, you'll lose your soul. <laughs> mm. 
What? Uh, hey, that's that, it? say that again, Bert. That is profound. Well, now, I don't know where this. I heard it. Don't don't put it to original. Bert doesn't have a lot of original thoughts, but I don't do it as good as you do. I read it, and I can't remember where I read it, but it is. It does say, if you do not believe the the Trinity, uh, you know, if you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind, and if you don't believe it, you'll lose your soul. Is the whole wow. idea is the Trinity is taught in the Scriptures. Is it completely explained? No. Guess what, Alex? God does not have to explain himself. That's true. He is God. Yeah. He is God. I've often thought about this. You know, I've, I've had skeptics say, you know, well, why, why hasn't God explained this? And why hasn't God explained that? I said, look, I think it's pretty gracious what he has revealed to us. <laughs> I agree. I mean, in, in the Scripture, we know about the, the creation of the universe, the origin of sin, the solution to sin. Um, and uh, listen, I think it's pretty gracious what God has revealed. It is. And notice again, we've already referred to verse 4, but we want to go there again. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. There's that capital L, capital O-R-D again. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. God's going to reveal himself. He's going to speak to them and address and distress them in deep displeasure. Notice verse 6. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Alex, I believe this has a twofold. You may disagree. Yes. I believe it's talking about Calvary, but I also think it's talking about heaven, that God is on the throne. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus became obedient even to the death, even the death of the cross, and God has given him a name which is what? Higher than any other name. He was, mm-hmm. Alex, now here's what I, just stay with me a moment. See if you follow this and you correct my thinking if I'm wrong. Jesus had a high position when he left heaven. But according mm-hmm. to Philippians 2, I think he had even a higher position after he had completed the task of the yeah. Father, that he had a name higher than any other. And that word name has the idea of authority Name has the idea of position. Do you catch my thinking? Title. Yes, you know? that's it. Yes. And that's I, he I mean, who sits yes. on the, he sits as the king. I have installed, the word set here is not just seated. It is, I have installed him. He is the one that holds this position, Alex. Well, and you know what? Uh, it's interesting, folks, as Bert and I were talking about um, the the content that we would gonna we were gonna be doing over this and the next few uh, weeks we were talking about Easter actually and you know getting towards talking about what Passover is and what the Lord did and we you know you might think it's interesting that we would go to some scriptures written a thousand years before the birth of Christ to talk about Easter but I'm with you Bert when you talk about my King on my holy hill of Zion verse six. I mean, this plays right into the story of the Lord, the story of salvation, and that, hey, that most important hill, uh, a windswept hill outside the city of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, Golgotha. The king was on that hill, but the king is now on his throne. And you're right, Bert. He is uh, the name above all names. So just 12 short verses. This is very brief, but so powerful. 
I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Bert, um, for just a minute, Psalm 2, verse 7, I want to talk about the, the word begotten, because we find that word again in John three sixteen, don't we? We do. And Alex, you see this. I have I will declare that's all God has to do. Now that's 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 all God has to do. God spoke the world into existence. And and he says, I declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Can you not help but think of the baptism? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you think of the transfiguration? This is my son. Hear him. And it then gets to the part, today I have begotten you. Uh, Alex, the whole idea of the only, the unique, begotten Son of God. And notice it's today. Have you heard this, that in far as God is concerned, time is, you know, it, it does it exist? No, he's in eternity, and he gave time for us. But far as God was concerned, Jesus had done his work on the cross even before the Calvary. He did it at Calvary, and now we look back at it. He did it at Calvary, and it's, it is that once and for all that shapes eternity. The day that every other day hinges upon is that day Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, Alex. Mm. This is so powerful, and and let me just say, in the pantheon of world religions, that you know, religion is almost very much about do's and don'ts. You know, do this, and and maybe you can work your way up to God. Only the Christian message has the reality of the incarnation that God took on a human body. And Bert, like you were speaking of the Trinity. Um, I don't completely understand it. Uh, goodness, I don't understand it, but I certainly do believe it. It's the same way with the incarnation. I mean, how could the eternal God take on a human body? I, I don't completely understand it, but I definitely, absolutely believe it. Now, only begotten, uh, John three sixteen, and uh, today this Son, S-O-N, begotten. Some, sometimes false teachers will latch on to this, and try to say that Jesus was not the eternal uh, person of God. But the word only begotten is an interesting word, monogenesis, M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-S-I-S, like monogenesis, one origin or one nature. And what it really means, it doesn't mean, in, in no way does only begotten imply uh, finitude or... Uh, that Jesus is not deity. What it means that the Son and the Father are of the same nature. He did not become divinity. He was. It, he was amen. deity. That's the whole idea. Yes. yes. Um, and you know the uh, Greek English lexicon of the New Testament says that it is quote pertaining to being the only one of its kind. In other words, there is only one Jesus. He is of one nature, the exact same nature of the Father and the Spirit. The, the essence or the nature of God, there's just one God. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, 
God is one, eternally existent as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Tri-unity, Trinity. Bert, I don't understand that. I don't think that it, <laughs> even the most brilliant humans that have ever lived didn't fully understand it. But uh, back to Psalm 2-7, he is the Son, the same essence as the Father. And I think it's wonderful that Jesus said, all that the Father has given will come to me, and I will lose none. And it says in verse 8, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Now remember, as this psalm began, the nations were raging and were lost. And yet the, the Father says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And down to us, how does that translate? That Jesus says, Whosoever will may come. Hallelujah. Now, I've Thank got you, to go Lord. back to the temptation. What was one of the temptations in the wilderness? Bow mm. down and worship me, Satan said, and I told Jesus, I'll give you the nations of the world. Alex, they had already been given to Jesus. Why should he have to bow down? You catch what? Uh, yeah. I mean, he won the victory. He The victory was already won, and he won it again and again. And, and the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth, it is for us, but it's also a world that is will come back to him. The Bible says it's rolled out as a scroll, talking about the, the whole universe is rolled out as a scroll. Now, what happens when the scroll comes to the end? It starts rolling back up to the one who holds the other end of the scroll. Mm. And so God throughout the universe is a scroll, but it's he he hasn't held he hasn't turned loose of the end he's holding. Yes, yeah. there's some freedom in that, but it comes back to God and it's his, and you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The victory is in Jesus Christ in no other way. I was reading about that breaking the potter, you know, the clay vessels, and it has the idea that uh, in practice in those days, that to demonstrate the victory that was expected and what they were going to do to the enemy, the king or the warrior would take a clay pot and throw it down and it would break into pieces, you know, and demonstrating the victory that they were expecting. Jesus Christ is is throwing down that that and saying, this is the victory that's coming don't don't give up. Don't it, when the world is going mad, when the world seems crazy, when it's lawless, when we're wondering if there's going to be a nuclear war, when we're wondering what is going to take place about oil. Listen, he's thrown down that clay. He has the victory, Alex. And we may Amen. it may be rough sailing. One last thing, and I'll turn it back to you. You remember when Jesus told his apostles to get into the boat and go to the other side and he said we're going to the other side now between one side of the sea of galilee on the other there was quite a big storm that came their way scared them but guess what they got to the other side that's our assurance in god's eschatology it's also our assurance in god's working in our life we do make it to the other side don't we Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I'm wishing that about now we had another 45 <laughs> minutes to talk about this. Yes, this is good, isn't it? Uh, it it's, it's great because, listen, God says, I'm going to give you the nations for your inheritance. All right. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, 
part of what Satan does is he tries to get you to take a shortcut in experiencing the promises of God, and thereby you miss the promises of God. Now, Bert, whenever I speak at men's conferences, and in fact, I'll be Friday night in Richmond for a father-son event, uh, look, there, there's a lot of things in life that we can experience and that we want to experience, but you don't run ahead of God, you don't take shortcuts, and you don't... Um, you don't try to get God's good gifts in ungodly ways, right? Got to do right. it God's way. You got to do it God's way. Satan uh, was trying to cause the plan of salvation to get derailed, and of course Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan." And you might ask, well, when? So when did the Son get the nations for His inheritance? Revelation five nine and seven nine. There was an, a great multitude no man could number, every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. And they sang a new song, Thou art worthy, Lamb of God. Let me say this. The nations that have come to Christ are saved. And then there is, hey, you said, well, when did he dash like pieces? Well, Jesus in Matthew ten twenty eight said, you know, don't fear him who could kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So I want to say this, and yes, Jesus is loving and merciful, but for those that reject him, there's judgment. For those that receive him, there's life eternal. Uh, the Son of God is victorious. He is. The last three verses, we're going to sum up quickly. The kings and the judges, listen, it's a useless battle. You need to bow down, kiss the hand of the Son, Jesus. Mm. And verse 11 tells us what we need to do. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with him in trembling. Listen what happens in verse 12. Amen. It says, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Have you put your trust in him? It's only in Christ. We're going to take phone calls, and that number is 888-589-8840. Give us a call. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests, plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. The thing that solidified the reality that you were my wife was your heart for God. When the scripture says, he that finds a wife. So I began conferring with my pastor in New Orleans the whole time. I, yeah. I would tell him about you, tell him when we, you know, when we spend time together. And he said, Abe, spend some time praying and ask God to reveal her heart to you. And write down what the Lord showed you, and which is what I did. It was all God. It was really God because when you did that, you followed the instruction of your pastor and God revealed to you who I was. God showed you things that you couldn't have known at that moment in our short time meeting each other. I was so grateful because it showed me that you 
to hear from God. And I was at that moment convinced that the only place to live is in the middle of God's will. Like I knew that was a part of the foundation that God would have us to build for our marriage, you know, going forward. Tune in to By Design, Saturday afternoons at 4 Central on American Family Radio. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines socialism as an economic system in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. The distribution of goods are controlled by the state. It is a system where there is no private property. A stage of society, in Marxist theory, transitional between capitalism and communism. American socialists put the descriptor democratic in front of socialism because they hope to persuade you to vote for the elimination of private property. Make no mistake, socialism is socialism. There is no kinder, gentler form of it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Exploring the Word, Bert and Alex with you. It's our joy to be with you today. I just got to comment, verse 12. Uh, we're going to go to your phone calls, but mm. Psalm 2, verse 12. Listen, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. In that day, there was the custom that the dignitary, all the people that were under him, uh, the vessels, they would kiss the hand of the king uh you know, giving their allegiance and saying we're we're under your authority. We're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know that. If you don't, you will perish in the way. Come to Christ. And if you need some help to talk to someone, there's these are our partners that we love dearly. It's called Triple Eight Need Him. That's the number there, Need Him. Triple eight need him, call them, talk to them. Make sure that you have come to Christ and you're ready for eternity. Alex, mm. uh, Psalm 2, it's just, let me just say it was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, amen. And I love that last line that you read Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. That's just wonderful, isn't it? It is. And I pray that people have and will. Well, I happen to know the state of Missouri is beautiful about this time of year. I've been to Missouri in March, and that's just a wonderful part of our nation. And we have a caller from Missouri right now. George, do I, do I have it right? You're from Missouri. That's that's correct. Well, thanks for holding, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, what's your, your question well, or comment? You for, uh, thank you, Alex and Bert, for doing what you do. Bless you. My my youngest sister, she's sixty five. She she says, well, I she looked at the Ten Commandments and and said that she never broke a one of them. She's got a lot of hate built up in her heart through her life, but she said she never broke any of them. I says, if you've had hatred in your heart for people, you probably broke about half of them. And and then I told her, I said. She goes, how many times do you forgive people? I said, in the Bible, I believe it says 70 times 7. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so I... Well, and lying, you know, we shall... Listen, uh, Bert, without being sarcastic, if you say you've... Well, first of all, First John 2 says, if a person says in their heart they have no sin, they deceive themselves... And the Bible says in First John 2, they make God a liar. So the unwillingness to admit one's sin, there, there's bias and blindness and bondage. Uh, bias, well, there might be sin, but I'm not guilty of it. Blindness, uh, you know, I, I'm not able to recognize my own disobedience. And then you really slander God because God says you have sinned. And even if... Somebody says, well, I've never broken one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, let me say this. Now, please, folks, listen carefully. First of all, none of us have kept all the Ten Commandments. Um, and even if you say, well, I've never broken one, well, then you just broke the one about lying because it's dishonest to say you have it. But I want to say this, Bert, and uh, folks, here's, here's an important thing, I believe. Even if you had kept every commandment, you still would need to be born again through Jesus. I'll tell you why. Because we have the unrighteousness of our parents, Adam and Eve. See, Romans 4 says when you come to Jesus, you have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that's true. Uh, all the holiness of Jesus is accredited to you the moment you believe. But until you do that, you have the imputed, accredited unrighteousness of Adam. So we need a Savior because of the sinful stuff we've done, but we also needed a Savior because just of the inherent guilt sentence over the human race. So by birth and by choice, we're guilty sinners. We need a Savior. Amen. George, uh, we are sinners because of who we are. We're sinners also because of what we do. We're guilty on both sins. I, I had someone to tell me that, George, and I knew them as well. And he was a friend. I played basketball. We played basketball together in the locker room together, you know. And I was witnessing to him. He had later become a part of our family marriage. And uh, he said, what if I have broken the Ten Commandments? I still need to be saved. And I said, yes. But I said, I've been around you, and I know you have. I, <laughs> I, I don't mean to be mean, George, but I believe you probably know your sister well enough uh, that there was some time frames in, in y'all's your life. I know my sisters and brothers could look back on Bert Harper and find plenty of material to show them that I was a sinner. So, George, uh, you're doing good. You, what you told her is good. We're going to be praying for your sister. Father, I pray you'd help George. I pray for that sister, 65, and, and Father, believe in a lie regardless of where that lie may come from. I pray that she would be broken by your Holy Spirit, Father, and she would call upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Where to Amen. next, Alex? Well, we're going to go to Arkansas and talk to Rob in Arkansas. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the program, Rob. Good afternoon, brothers. So I have recently got an audio book by David Jeremiah, uh, The Book of Signs, and I am totally fascinated with it. And uh, I recommend it to anybody. But my question to you, I will ask this, and I will go ahead and hang out so I can listen on the radio. But my question to you is, at the end of, at the, end of the uh, Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, was there expansion of time 
How many years was it? Why did it happen that way? And was this uh, the timing of God? And thank you, God, and God bless, brothers. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate you. Listen, David Jeremiah, <laughs> Alex, he is. He's good. He, yes, he is. He's one of his radio programs here on AFR. You can hear David Jeremiah, and what a man of God he is. God's, I believe God's brought into our nation for such a time as this. I believe that with all my heart. Let me answer real quickly uh, this question. Yes, there's a time frame. It's a period of time that's called the silent years. It's called the time of period there that, you know, is 400 years between Malachi and then we see John the Baptist come on the scene. Alex, what else would you say about that? those years? Uh, yeah, you know, the 400 years from Malachi to Matthew, sometimes called the intertestamental period, there were no prophets or inspired writers uh, in Israel and, you know, why? You, you asked, was there an expansion of time? Well, um, if you mean, was time different than it is now? I think the answer is no. I mean, time is just just like it is now, 24-hour um, days. Uh, but, the, yes, there were four centuries from the last prophet of Israel until the birth of Jesus. Why? I don't fully know why, but Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, uh, you know, during during this time period, there was activity of, of Persia and there was activity in the Roman Empire. A lot of things were going on. But I think here, here's the thing. God had spent all this time setting up Israel through whom would be born the Messiah. But for 400 years, things were getting set up in the Gentile world that would make it most conducive for the start of Christianity. And into the Bethlehem manger, Christ was born. He ministered. He was crucified. He rose. Pentecost happened. The church was born. And here we are. There was something called the, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And people could come and go, look, look at Paul. He went to Spain. He went to Rome. He went throughout so much of the world. The disciples... Joseph of Arimathea went to what we now call Wales, and uh, Thomas went to India. And so why was it like it was, Bert? I don't completely know, but I think the stage of world history was getting set for the, the resurrection of Jesus and the start of the church. I agree with you, but not only the, quote, I'm going to call it the Roman world that was waiting mm -hmm. on Jesus' birth. I would say even the Jewish world, because the synagogues had developed during this period of time. You have no such thing as synagogue in the Old Testament. But when you come that, to the that's true. New Testament, there's synagogues and there, you know, again. And what does this do? Not only the Pax Roma, but it also sets up a, it's kind of like a church plant. If you have a church plant, you find a group of people that, that believe that will do a Bible study. Paul had a place to go when he was doing that, Always. the synagogue. And also, let me say, the Pharisees and the Sadducees developed during that period of time. So when it was for Jesus to be put on the cross, guess who was behind it all, Alex? Those Pharisees and Sadducees, you know? So God, in the fullness of time, it wasn't just Roman world. It was the Jewish world as well. You know, Bert, that is just brilliant. I never really thought about that. But remember, Paul would go to the synagogue and it says, as was his custom. Yeah. And the disciples, 
you know, people ask me now sometimes, uh, can Jewish people be Christians? Well, of course. Uh, but you got to understand, it's we Gentiles that are late to the party. The first <laughs> Christians were Jewish, weren't they? They were. Praise the Lord. Amen. But uh, Marty in Mississippi. Marty, welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for taking my questions. Two real quick questions. In Revelation 2, when John was giving the letters to the seven churches, how did the seven churches receive the letters? Was it through John gave it to somebody on a ship that took them back, or... Did John hand carry him once he was released from Patmos? And number two is the Masonic Lodge. We have a lot of Masons that profess to be Christians, but are the two compatible? Okay. And those are my questions. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, I will put it this way about the Masons. I've known many and served with many that love Jesus with all their heart. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot a lot of other things. If you find out the real purpose and meaning of some of these things that we're connected with, Alex, uh, it, it's it's not what it should be. It's kind of like teaching in a public school. Uh, and and I, we've got teachers, and we pray for you. We love you. We feel like you're a agent of God in those public schools. But is it compatible with what they're teaching with the New Testament and uh, some of it is, some of it's not. So I think you have that with just a lot of things in masonry, I'd say, is one of them. You may have a different answer, though, Alex. Go ahead. Well, um, you know, by the way, this could be a whole nother show, and I, I'm with you. I know a lot of uh, Christian men that are involved in the Lodge. Uh, in fact, when I was in graduate school, I wrote um, a pretty extensive paper i spent several years researching masonry because being from the south i knew a lot of men that were masons the answer is no it is not compatible and i've i've interviewed several dozen people studied hundreds of books this has been 25 years ago uh but i know there are a lot of people that are godly people um i don't know why they would spend time and effort on something that really in a lot of ways is very very incompatible with christianity uh, but anyway, um, so as a steward of time, we got to prioritize what we're going to do and what we don't do. But to the first part of your question about how did the John's letters to the seven churches, you know, John was on the Isle of Patmos. Now, how did these letters get uh, distributed? Well, Bert, in a way, this does relate to canonicity because um, there's two questions here. Um, after God, John got the revelation, but before he was executed, um, church history theorizes that maybe um, he was allowed to go because, look, from the Isle of Patmos to Ephesus, the closest city, um, it was a very, very short boat ride. And the other six churches were within a few days' journey. Now, John was the last apostle alive, and uh, anything he said or did probably was really, really treasured by the churches. So it may have been that John, who lived to be almost 100 years old, may have been that John got to personally deliver these, but he ultimately was martyred on the Isle of Patmos. The other thing is, Bert, um, canonicity of the New Testament books, one of the questions for canonicity, uh, was it written by an authentic apostle who had seen the risen Jesus? Was it compatible? Um, Certainly, even if John himself had not delivered these, which he may have, um, these were circulated by 115 
to 125. We've got the complete New Testament as we have it today. And certainly these churches, both in uh, copies and written form, but in preaching, these seven churches that were all pretty close to Patmos, they would have gotten what the Spirit had given John to give to the churches. I agree. And one of the things that is amazing me, um, our, our oldest son, Nathan, whom I do exploring missions with, made a trip to Turkey. And one of the places they visited was Laodicea, the place that really? would, you know. Yeah. Oh, and guess man. what? There was a church building there, pretty significant, to, to, to have two to 300 people. It was built around the 200s or 300s. So these letters that were sent, they not only speak to us, it seems like at least for Laodicea, it spoke to them, and they repented and got right with God at least for a while to be able to continue on. That's good and, news, And had a building it? program. Yeah, they did. Uh, Alex, it's well, been good to be with you. Hey, Michael, I would love to go to you. Uh, can I hope you can call tomorrow. We haven't. Go ahead with your question. I doubt if we can get it all in, but go with your question. Make it fast. Um. Jesus is still the Son of God in Revelation 19. He has a name on his crown that no man knoweth but the Father himself in the time that Jesus stated there was one greater than him in John 10 and John 14 and the relation over to Joseph and the Pharaoh story where the Pharaoh said a declaration God said to Jesus, uh, no one's above hey, let me look, forgive myself. me for jumping in here. We're almost out of time. You know, I wrote a book on Genesis and Joseph, and I give uh, 40 parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And, Bert, I, I think we can see the, the, the foreshadowing of Jesus in the life of Joseph all the I way agree. back Genesis 37 through 45. Michael, I think you're exactly right, and that's what it is in the Old Testament. Jesus is forecasted. And we find him coming to us in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Alex, it's good to be with you today, brother. Enjoyed it. We appreciate you, the audience, listening. And we pray that you would have a great Monday evening. Tell someone about exploring the Word in AFR. But more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.